Well, good morning, Ward Church. Uh, so good to be with you all today. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say congratulations to our very own Jenny neighbor, formerly Jenny Miller, who just got married last week, our Young Adults Director. Yes, congratulations. Super excited for you in that. And also, I just um, a personal tidbit for me, I wanted to say thank you guys for your prayers. Uh, as some of you may know, Ashley's father, my father-in-law, was uh, diagnosed with cancer this past week. And uh, some of you guys have been praying for him, and we long for all of your prayers. And so uh, we just want to thank you for those who have been praying. And we want to just call you guys to continue to pray. I'm actually hopping on a plane soon as I leave here today to go spend some time with the family in Texas. And Ashley and Luca are already there. Uh, but just want to thank you guys, and I want to enlist all of us to, to pray for David Bowser, uh, Ashley's father, my father-in-law. Uh, let's go before our king in prayer this morning. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name, thanking you for today. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of today. God, preach to your people. Focus us on your kingdom. Allow your word to do what it does, Father God, which is give life. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. October 27th, 1962, was the peak of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. Historians call this day Black Saturday. It was a day where the world almost came to nuclear war. On one side of that nuclear war, you had President John F. Kennedy in the United States. And on the other side of that, uh, of that uh, Cold War, you had uh, uh, Nikita Khrushchev, who was the head of the Soviet Union. And both sides felt threatened by the other, and neither side was budging. Uh, the Soviet Union was saying, essentially, you guys are too close to me, move your missiles. And the United States was saying, well, you're too close to me, move your missiles. The Soviet Union had uh, missiles located in Cuba just some 90 miles away uh, from the United States. And at any moment, it could go off and millions of people around the world uh, would have perished. Uh, eventually, the United States came up with an agreement that satisfied both parties, but that message had to be delivered. And they had a very slow communication channel. It would take sometimes up to 12 hours before these messages would get to their final destination. And so there was a message drafted and crafted that would uh, bring some peace to this situation. But who would deliver this message of reconciliation? I'll show you who. A young man just like this who worked for Western Union. Western Union would dispatch these delivery boys. This is a true story. I've done my research on it. This is, this is who was de delivering these messages. They, they would dispatch these kids. And this message of reconciliation, this message that, have, that had life or death and global implications was placed in the hand of a child. Uh, the diplomats would watch him as he rode through the town on his bicycle, true story, uh, making sure he didn't stop and buy some candy or something like that uh, because he had this important message to deliver, a message that had global implications, a message that, that impacted life and death. 
God has given his church a message that has life or death implications. He's given his church a message of his kingdom that has global implications. And the question becomes, who will deliver it? Who will deliver this message? We have a message that is so powerful that it can help people who are walking in the darkness find the light. There are people today who don't value their lives, but they need to know a God who values their life. There are people today who don't have a sense of purpose, who need to know that they can find purpose in God's kingdom. There are people who won't step foot into a church, so we have to bring the church to them. In many ways, that was my story growing up as a young man. I knew uh, some about God, and I went to church a little, but I got to a point in my life uh, where I I wasn't uh, going to church, and I was absolutely lost. I was a depressed, anxious teenager who didn't know uh, not much about the Bible. Uh, I I didn't know anything about theology. Uh, I I didn't understand a lot about church etiquette. Uh, I didn't have a bunch of suits or church clothes or anything like that, Uh, but I needed a place to go uh, to wrestle with some of these questions. So true story, I would uh, visit this one church uh, in, in in my community, and they just made room for me to just figure it out. At the age of 15, I just, would, I just would sit on the pew and listen. I was trying to figure out what I believed about God and uh, did I believe God. And I, and, and I didn't know exactly what I needed at that point in my life, but I know that I needed something, and they made room for me. I, I was this uh, 15-year-old boy who was just trying to, to figure it out. Eventually, I came to Christ in that church, but I'm just thankful Uh, that they made room for me just to come and figure it out just as I was. If If I needed to know a bunch of stuff, I didn't know it. If I needed to look a certain way, address a certain way, I couldn't do it. I just needed a place that would allow me to, to, to figure it out, that would, process, that, would, uh, that would prioritize the kingdom. And, and that's, that's what they did for me. They prioritized the kingdom. What stops us from prioritizing the kingdom? That's what we're going to talk about today as we, as we dive into our text. God is speaking to his people in, in, in this book of Haggai, and he's calling them to prioritize him. Make me first. As we look at Haggai, God is speaking to his people, and they have drifted. And this is usually how it happens. It's usually not a quick 180 where we stop prioritizing God and his kingdom first. Usually it's a slow drift. It's a slow drift, and we find ourselves off center. Uh, Let's dive into our text today, Haggai 1. In the year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, son of Jezozadak, the high priest. So 
Let's, let's go back to those two names, Haggai and Zerubbabel. Uh, God has given these two men uh, uh, an assignment, Haggai, to speak to Zerubbabel and God's people and to call them uh, to rebuilding his temple. Uh, the temple had been destroyed for years and God's people hadn't gotten back to work uh, to rebuild this temple. So what happened to the temple in the first place? Let's, let's deal with that question. Uh, the temple was, was initially built by Solomon, and it was glorious, and it was beautiful, but it had been destroyed. Well, what was going on in a nutshell was that the world was crumbling all around uh, God's people and all around God's house, and eventually the world found its way into the temple, and the temple was destroyed. So let's break that down a little bit. What was going on in the world at this time uh, when the temple uh, was destroyed? Uh, there was these, uh, these superpowers uh, in the world at that time uh, who were going to war with one another, and you had little old Israel right there in the middle, uh, and God was saying, that's okay, I know that the, these big superpowers are going to war all around you, and, they're, and they're, they're threatening, and they seem so dangerous, and they seem like they can just wipe you out, but I'm calling you to trust me. I know you're small, and I know you seem weak, but trust me, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Just trust me. Well, they were often tempted not to trust God. They were often tempted to put their trust in other things. And so these, these superpowers were fighting all around them. Uh, we know one of them, Egypt. Egypt was a superpower at that time. And at one point, it looked like Egypt was controlling uh, the world. But the Assyrians conquered the Egyptians. All right. And then the Assyrians looked like they were on top of the world. Then the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. And when the Babylonians conquered the Assyrians, they attacked Israel too because Israel had been placing their faith in the wrong things and practicing idolatry. And, and that's when the temple was destroyed. All right. So if you're tracking with me, uh, the Assyrians conquered the Egyptians. The Babylonians conquered the Assyrians. And then here come the Persians. The Persians conquer uh, the Babylonians. And then the, once the Babylonians are back in power, once the, the Persians are in power, they allow Israel to go back home and to start rebuilding their temple. And that's where we find ourselves at this point in the story. And now Israel has been allowed to go back home and to start rebuilding their temple. And Zerubbabel, who is the governor at this point in their history, is supposed to lead the people in this effort to rebuild it back, to make God back central in the lives of these people, but they hadn't gotten back to it yet. Uh, they hadn't got back to building the temple, and it's been a while. It had been some 16 years since they had been back, and, and they still hadn't built the, built the temple. Let's go. Let's continue. So this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you, for yourselves, to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Essentially, their priorities were a little out of whack. Uh, they were building some houses all right, but they weren't building God's house. They laid the foundation, 
but they had put that project off for quite a while. Like I said, some 16 years. Uh, at first, they were like, okay, we're busy. We got some things going on. We can't, we can't get back. We can't get to it yet, but just wait. But 16 years? They'd been there 16 years, and they kept putting it off. Let's, let's continue. Let's go to our next, our next slide. All right. Nobody disputed the necessity of rebuilding Jerusalem's temple. At some point, everyone agreed that this would be a good thing. They were simply stating what seemed to themselves that now was not that time. More broadly, these were difficult economic times for all in such a context there was a general lack of funds for an ambitious project like rebuilding the temple. Just keeping food on the table for one's family would have been hard enough. We can kind of relate to this. There was this, this rebuilding season, and it seemed like, you know, there were some things that was just a little bit more important. We, we got to keep food on the table. How are we going to rebuild this? And, I, and we can relate to some of this. We can relate to the fact that sometimes it seems like, God, now it's just, now it's just not the right time. And we can be tempted to look at this and say, can you just leave them alone, Haggai? Can you just let these people get their lives back together before we ask them to rebuild this, temper, this temple? Uh, can't we see that there's... there's uh, there's some hard times going on here. Can you just give them a break? Is, isn't it kind of selfish uh, to, to be talking about rebuilding a temple right now? But the reality is the safest place for them to be was in a place where God was central to their lives. Uh, this was the, the best and the safest thing for them was to, to, was to prioritize God as First, uh, things weren't actually going well uh, for Israel at this time. Uh, and, and one of the things that led to this was that they weren't prioritizing uh, God as first. Right, let's go uh, to, to verse 7. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. This is a call to self-examination. He tells them to give careful thought to your ways. What are you doing? What, what actually is first? And he tells them, this is a command to them to get, to get back to work on the temple. Go into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Uh, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains in ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. God had promised to be their God, and he would be their people, and he would provide for them, and he would protect them, and he would give them everything that they needed. He just called them to put him first. And in real life and in real time, it's hard to do that when you feel like, oh, I have so many other things that I need to do, and I got to fix my life first, and I got to organize this and this and that and work and 
and all of these different priorities, but God has said, I get it, but just put me first. Things weren't working well for them because they weren't putting him first. The, antith- the antithesis of that kind of life is this kind of life. Matthew 6, says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. God knows what we need. He, he, he calls for us to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and he'll take care of us. Uh, he calls us to prioritize him first, and there's no better place to be than in the will of God when we're prioritizing him first above all else. Let's, let's continue. And this, this gets to some of the discouragement, what we're about to see here. So they were distracted by, by different affairs in their lives, but they also were discouraged. They were like, can we even really do this? And that's what we're going to see here. He says, ask them, who of you is left? Who saw this house, hear this now, in its former glory? And how does it look to you now? So this is a question of comparison. He says, does it seem to you like nothing? And he's speaking to those who had been there for Solomon's temple. It was in its former glory. And, and, and Solomon's temple was made of gold, and it was uh, built by these professional builders and architects, and it was so great. It was the good old days. And now this little thing, we, don't, we barely can put food on our table. How are we going to build a temple? This is, this is nothing. All right, let's, let's look at Ezra. It gives us a snapshot into what was going on here. It says, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while so many others shouted for joy. Uh, just to pause there for a minute. So they, they, they were weeping aloud, but some people were shouting for joy. There was mixed mixed feelings about this new project, and the foundation had been laid. Ah, oh, but man, it's, it's nothing like the, the good old days with Solomon's temple. And, and it says, no one can distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. And so there were people who were weeping about this new project, this new temple. Like, ah, it's just not good enough. But there were some people who were rejoicing about it. Friends, I just want to encourage us in our own lives, when God is doing something different or new in our lives, do we weep? Because, ah, it's not, I like to do it that way, and it's, 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 it's not how it was, or do we rejoice? My God is still on the throne. He's still moving. He's still working. The same God that was here at the beginning is still advancing his kingdom and praise God about it, even if he's doing it in a way that's different. Even, even as we're here as a, as a church body, do we, do, we, do we weep when God is doing something different in us? Or do we rejoice? Same king on the throne, still advancing his kingdom. Let's, let's continue. 
So this is God speaking to Zerubbabel because he is, he is leading. He, he's facing a leadership challenge here. He's trying to lead some people to do something that they really don't want to do. Now they're discouraged. They're distracted by all these different things. They're divided. Some people are weeping. Some people are rejoicing. So God says this to Zerubbabel, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong. Take courage. Similar words to what he said to Joshua. Be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, John of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. God promises his presence in this. He says, I am with you. I know you're distracted. I know there's so much going on. I know you're discouraged and, oh, man, this won't be like the good old, good old days, but I am still the same God. He says, this is what I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Do not fear. He promises to be with his people. Don't be discouraged. My kingdom is still at work. My kingdom is still advancing, and you get to be a part of it, and I'm calling you to be a part of it. Friends, we, we, we are not called as a church now to build a physical temple. Um, God's spirit dwells inside of his people now, so we're the temple, and, and we are the living stones, and as we go, God's presence goes with us and that's the way God advances his kingdom today. And God is still telling his church that I am with you. I am for you. My spirit is inside of you. And I'm still working and I'm still calling you to be a part of it. Ward Church, God has us here at Six Mile in Haggerty for a reason. His spirit is still in us. He's still using us, and we're still called to be a part of his kingdom advancing. As I look at that text, I see, I see God's people, I see God reminding his people of who they are and what they're called to do. He says, uh, these are the people that, that I covenanted with when I brought them out of Egypt. And you're still my people. And I say to Ward Church, you're still God's people. And God still has his spirit in you and wants to do things in you and through you. He wants to call you to be a part of advancing his kingdom. That's, that's a wonderful opportunity. And, that, and that's corporately together and that's individually in those different areas of life that uh, we might not know about. It, it might be on your job. It might be as a stay-at-home mom, as you disciple your kid. It could be talking to that neighbor, right? So God has called us collectively and individually to be a part of advancing his kingdom. But why, why don't we take up the offer? Why, why, what, what stops us at times from advancing God's kingdom. What, what gets in the way of that? I think we can relate to uh, Israel a little bit with some of that, with some of the distractions and uh, with some of the discouragements. But quite often, 
Um, I think we can get busy at building other kingdoms. That's, that's the temptation for, for most people. We, we're going to build a kingdom one way or another, but is it going to be the kingdom of self? Is it going to be the kingdom of uh, my last name? Is it, is it going to be the kingdom of my employer? Is it going to be the kingdom of church? Oddly enough, we, we, can, we can be about the kingdom of church and not necessarily be about the kingdom of God. That's why, as sad as it may, may sound, that's why churches compete with other churches. And it's like, what are we really doing here? Right? God, God has called us to be about his kingdom, but the temptation is to build other kingdoms and to take a, an empty route of life because all other kingdoms fail. We talked about it earlier. The Persians fail, the Egyptians fail, the Syrians fail, the Greeks, the Romans, all, all kingdoms fall, but only God's kingdom will last. So why wouldn't we take him up on that offer? Sadly enough, um, many people will opt out of God's invitation to be a part of his kingdom and take the empty climb. The empty climb of consumerism, where it's, it's not about his kingdom. It's, it's easier to just make it about me and what I want. And a lot of people, they're going to they're gonna take the empty climb. And the empty climb goes like this. And it starts off maybe seemingly innocent. It's like, I just want enough. Just, I just want enough. Just give me enough. If I can just get enough, then I can get back to focusing on God or whatever. But as of right now, I just need to get enough. I just need enough money, enough space, enough house, uh, enough status on a job, enough attention. I just, I just need enough. If I can just get enough, then, then, then all will be well. The next step on that empty climb of consumerism is more. All right, I got enough, God, but I just need a little more. Can I get a little bit more? Just a little bit more money, a little bit more square footage. Come on, can I get a little bit more food? A little bit more, a little bit more attention. I just need a little bit more attention. Just a little bit more. A little bit more influence a little bit more prestige on the job, then, then I can get back to you. We get more, and that still doesn't satisfy most of us. Well, I need to get something that's better. I got, I got enough. Got a little bit more. But now I just, I just need something a little better. Need a, I just need a better car. I just need a better car. You know, better school, better quality restaurants, better, better quality clothes, just, just a little bit better. Better cable package, you know? A little bit better. Just, ah, but I'm still not satisfied. And, and then we begin to scratch that itch because we're still not satisfied. Oh man, I got enough, I got better. I'm still not satisfied. I need to try something different. I've got 
enough, more, better, different, and I'm, man, just maybe, a, I want, this is where we get to custom. I want something that nobody else has. That's how empty this path, path goes. I want, I want custom everything. I want custom uh, carpet. I want custom uh, details on my car. I, I, need, I need to be different. I need to stand, I need different. And I got different, and I'm still not satisfied. And sadly enough, many of us will opt out of dying to self and being a part of God's kingdom to take the empty climb of consumerism. And it goes, I got enough, not satisfied, I got more. A little fly hopped on there. <laughs> got enough, got more, got better, different. I'm still not satisfied. I heard somebody say, depression doesn't come from when everything goes wrong and I'm sad. If it comes when I get everything I want, and I'm still unhappy. And now I got despair. I've climbed to the top. Oh. That's a different word. That's like, I don't know what that word is. <laughs> but I climbed to the top, thank you. And despair. It's empty. And some people might feel like you're stuck on this ladder. Like I've, I'm stuck on the ladder. And God invites you to come down. That's what humility is. I come down from this. And God, no matter where, where you might be on this, God can call you down off of this. Friends, this is our, our big idea for the day. God gives us a different way to live and a better way to die. God gives us a different way to live and a better way to die. He says, I want to be your enough. Make me your enough, and then you'll find the true satisfaction that you've been looking for. Make me your enough, and I will be your, your, your purpose. I will give you purpose in my kingdom. I'll make life mean something again. Don't take, I beg you, don't take the, the empty climb of consumerism. It, it's going to destroy your individual life. It, 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 will, it ruins families every day. It ruins churches. God calls us to something bigger and better. He calls us to be a part of his kingdom. Will you take that invitation? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name saying, God, it's it's, it's, it's tempting to take that empty climb of consumerism and to make our lives about ourselves. What we want, what we prefer, God, what, what we need more of, God, and it's empty. We know it's empty. We, we've experienced enough of it to know that it's absolutely empty and exhausting. I pray for those under the sound of my voice who are anxious and depressed and exhausted from taking that empty climb. I pray for those that are distracted and discouraged because they feel like maybe God's not moving or God can't move in their lives or God is done moving. God, show us that you are still on the throne. You are still with us. 
and you still have a purpose for us in you. God, be our enough. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.